What's going on? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs. This is your hobby content alternative. I am your host, Brett McGrath. Excited to bring this conversation to you. I got my man, Chris Publius13. He does give a little origin story about that name on the show. Wanted to talk with him. I enjoy following him on Instagram, looking at his collecting and his nostalgia, but he always has a sound perspective on what's happening with the hobby uh, from a market perspective, corporate business. And so I wanted to bring him on to share some of those thoughts. Um, we were having a hell of a battle with Zoom. I don't know if it's my side or what, but we had a hop on back and forth a few times. So going to hopefully try to edit this. The quality might be a little all over the place, but hopefully you'll tune in and, and check out this conversation. Really enjoyed this one. You can follow him on Instagram, Publius13. Let's kick it to the conversation. There became a moment in my week last week, and I think I view his story posts. I saw a story post and uh, typically I got asked recently, someone was like, how do you like select your guests for the show? Like, do they come to you? Do you go to them? And I said, well, I'm pretty intentional with, uh, selecting my guests. And, uh, I feel like after I saw one of uh, today's guest story posts, I was like, you know what? Like I've been enjoying his content for some time. Let's just bring him on the show to talk about just hobby perspective, obviously get into some of his collecting, but I'm joined by Chris Publius 13. Chris, thank you for joining. How are you tonight, man? Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Do you know what the, uh, you know, everyone always thinks Publius is my last name. Do you know what the, what the actual reference is though, before we even start? Uh, I don't know. And I was going to ask, I'm glad you're like bringing it up, but I would love, this is the origin stories of Instagram accounts are one of my favorite things. So share the info. I think I'll only pull it out because since it's my oldest card. It's actually the first on the top of my case, which I happen to have nearby. I mean, this is a, like a 1932 U.S. Carmel President's card, James Madison. And, and Publius was the pen name, which him and Hamilton and Jay wrote under uh, in, their, in the, their letters for, uh, with Federalist Papers. So it's kind of a, like a pseudonym for anonymous writing. And so since my card collecting account was not going to be like my regular personal Instagram account, I said, oh, this seems it's, I should have a pen name for my account here. And so, so it's kind of, I, I don't think a lot of people know that. Maybe I have this off base a little bit, but I haven't thought about this kind of thing in a while. Is it like Mark Twain-ish? Ish? Because that wasn't like Mark Twain wasn't his real name, was he? The author? You're right. You're right. I, I can't think of his. I know there, there's a lot of them over history. I know like. Benjamin Franklin had one, which was silence, do good. And that's how I believe he submitted his letters that he couldn't get published. But uh, yeah, I, I, and, and actually, I believe the writers of the Anti-Federalist Papers were also anonymous writing. So I, I guess some things never change, right? Since so much of everything that goes on today on social media is also just anonymous. No, no doubt. And I, I feel like that may, that sets the stage for maybe like, we're going to get into your collecting. We're going to talk about current state of the hobby and some of the affairs, but I feel like it might be good. Like w there's this like bit um, in the, I, I hear it on, I think Chris from crossover slash card letter talks about it, but it's like, you're either like three things in the hobby, like professionally, you're like everything, like there's that catch all everything. And then there's dentists. There's a ton of dentists. And then the next bucket is is a lawyer. There's tons of lawyers, tons of dentists, and then it's kind of everything else. So wanted to make sure, like you're you're a lawyer, which that's your background, which I think is 
I always talk about professional skill sets and being able to apply those lens to what's going on in the hobby. Do you feel like having like a legal background and doing what you do for a living gives you any sort of advantage or um, you use those skills any sort of way in the hobby? Yeah. So before I start, just so I don't violate any bar association tenants here, I am actually not a lawyer. I have a JD from the University of Kansas. I actually am not practicing and I work for a pharmaceutical company doing pricing governance. So it's actually probably more closer related to, if you think about pricing governance, then to um, some of the stuff that goes in the hobby than uh, legal um, issues per se. But, um, But also, unironically, my first career for a couple of years in between undergrad and law school was an auditor at a big four accounting firm, and I'm a certified fraud examiner also. So a lot of these okay. things probably align, and maybe that's perhaps why I'm so um, passionate or outspoken about some of the things that go on in the hobby is they just kind of tend to strike a chord with someone who's um, employed a lot of professional skepticism uh, throughout their career and and done a lot of transactional review and spent a lot of time thinking about some of the ethics of of these matters. Man, it makes so much sense. And I love that. And I hear you say that. And it's like, so I do marketing for a living and I understand how digital marketing works. So when I see individuals in the hobby leverage digital marketing tactics in a way that instead of persuading in a good way, I feel like manipulates it's like spidey senses and the antennas go up. So I feel like you, uh, within a different through a different lens, are seeing things in a way where your spidey senses go up when maybe there's some fraud going on, or you sense something not so good by an actor that does so not so good things regularly. Yeah, that's the total opposite. Like the the marketing aspect to me is like completely foreign. I have no idea. Like how social media engagement works or how, why does that account have 20,000 Follow? How did they get them? Are they real? Or like, I'm sure you can look at it as quickly as you can look at an account and say, this person's followers are legit or illegitimate. I can probably listen to somebody's uh, speak for 20 seconds, pronouncing themselves as a guru at sports card investing and, you know, dissertain that they have absolutely no idea what they're talking about or closer to a charlatan than an expert investor. Uh, So it's probably quite similar in that, in that aspect. Well, everybody listening, we're going to be getting into some of that, but before we do, this is a podcast mostly about collecting sports cards. So Chris, like looking at your page takes it's like a trip down memory lane a little bit with the players you collect the types of cards you collect i even like seen pictures on your instagram account of like old like junk wax boxes that you collect and we must be around the same age because i see these boxes and i had like factory sets of some of these (laughs) things and so in the fleer basketball and it's like man i remember ripping like hundreds and hundreds of packs of that stuff. And I don't know what I was looking for at the time, but um, mostly just cool cards that I can put in my binder. So maybe like set the stage for anyone who doesn't know who you are or what you collect to talk a little bit about what you're focused on. Yeah, so definitely uh, a boomerang collector like so many others. And I'd say 
my my active hobby years as a child were probably 1990 to 1997. There, there's some evidence back in the old binder that maybe I ripped a few packs of 98 tops basketball, but it definitely seems uh, like there were <laughs> when I was sorting them by year, it definitely seemed like, uh, you know, 97, 98 was pretty much the end of the line. And I, I, de- I definitely wish that as a child, I didn't spend so, I mean, I was buying, most of my collection probably came from just like piggybacking with my mother to CVS and like grabbing whatever packs of collector's choice they had up at the display. And now when you, when I re-entered the hobby 25 years later, maybe I wish I had bought some more hobby product than have had been a um, reckless retail ripper. But as you've mentioned from my IG, I'm clearly passionate about that because I continue to kind of make (laughs) the same mistakes uh, 25 years later. I definitely, I mean, I, I think a couple months ago, I bought just like a stack of early Skybox basketball junk wax. And I remember Chrissy Buckets asking me, what's the how much is the chase card in that <laughs> worth because uh, i was joking that i'd break it to him and i said i don't know maybe like four dollars raw and he was like okay i'm, I'm out um but i still like i love that stuff i i love like my some of my i think my favorite year of cards is like from 90 91 to 93 probably and i, I would imagine that the total value of, of those years of cards are nowhere excuse me near the peak but um now i came back into the hobby and i hadn't really thought about cards in like 20 some odd years and started slowly going through the binders and kind of looking at prices because i i don't recall what it alerted me to it but i i understood that you know the hobby was having a comeback and originally my intent was i was trying to figure out grading so i could kind of like max the value and submit them and and get like it was originally started out with wow i'm gonna get rid of all this stuff and you know pocket like a few months living expenses and um i never in a million years thought that it would actually become uh, a net expenditure and that i would instead of end up selling off everything uh kind of get reinvigorated by it and be purchasing more Artists. Um, but that's what I kind of once I got my first submission back, I had I was like, oh, do I really want to sell these? These are kind of important to me. It's like, well, if I'm going to keep these, maybe I should pick up some of these other cards that I really like, but that I never really owned before. I'd say my first year was kind of spinning my wheels a little bit. Didn't really, like I just kind of buy cards I like without a lot of direction. And then um, eventually I was able to like set some goals, which is kind of where I'm at now. Some of the content I really like was um, like the P. Ryan collection does his 100 card case videos where he goes through them all and kind of tells you why each card is in his case and what it represents. And, and that's kind of like a similar idea for the basis of uh, like the 100 card case I'm building. I also think the last collector's membership, they have this book, The Diamondbacks Collection by Tom Ellen Zavala. And there's in the foreword, which is written by Joe Orlando, um, he says it's all about the list. 
And that like couldn't ring more true to me. I'll, I spend more time focusing today on that 100 card. I've probably killed a few trees, uh, you know, going through notepads, updating and modifying my hundred, like my ideal 100 card case. And if I have this card in for Barry Bonds, then I need to take this other one out. But now, Don, but now Sportflix doesn't have a card. And like I spend an insane amount of time. It's really more about like curating the perfect like PC box to me than where I think a lot of other people that I'm friendly with in the hobby, they just like certain things and kind of like they see a nice card that's a great card and it's rare and they go buy it. But I, and that's awesome, totally respectful of it. And I think that's like more of a collector. Whereas like I'm more focused on like how my collection and the parts of it look holistically. Like I'm and so that's why I say it's more similar to like curating, like if you can differentiate curating from collecting a little bit. And so that's really what I focus on right now. No, I, I love that. And maybe can you just like let us inside and like that box that you're building that you're spending so much time focusing on, like this week, like where are you at? Like, what are you looking at? Like, what are you, what are the moves that you're currently making? Like, what is like weighing on your mind right now? Just to give it, let us in on the inside of where you're at. Without sounding like, uh, sounding like a total psychopath, because like <laughs> I, I would hate for someone to think about how many hours I put into for 1997. Like I was still in the hobby in 1997 and Tim, Tim Duncan was a rookie that year. And so I remember his cards. Um, being pretty popular and like on the tail end of my hobby journey. And so to me, like I watched him you know, play a lot of basketball. He's not somebody I would call the DPC on, but I was like, I want a Tim Duncan rookie card in my case to represent that part of my hobby history. And the amount of time I have spent between is a Topps Chrome, is a 10 more appropriate, or is this like the spot where Bowman's best atomic refractor it's in and just like going back and forth between like this would be the greatest place to kind of represent atomic refractors which are important basketball card but also that um i'm out on the duncan chrome which i think is probably like a top 15 iconic basketball card and just like going back and forth on like i've been thinking a lot about that this week because i have i only have a few cards that so I have like 89 cards right now. Once I get, I have three at PSA. Um, and I, it's like a handful of 90s cards, which I'm focused on right now. And then I'll have to double back to some 1950s stuff. Um, and then once I, and, and then I'll be at 100. And then after that, I think I'm, it's going to be, um, maybe not so much active buying because I think some of the cards I'll want to add after that will be like cards that I can't be buying weekly or monthly just because of the the price tag on them. And so maybe a Jambalaya Jordan comes up and I want to buy that. And now then I'll have to kind of figure which of the hundred cards needs to come out of the case. So once the, like the base of the hundred card case is done, then I'll probably spend the rest of my time in the hobby, just like slowly improving it uh, or upgrading it kind of along the way. 
Is, is this something that will never be over or is, are you going to always be like modifying it and that'll be your primary project? Yeah. Or, you know, I like the registry a lot and I, but, um, and so I've always kind of wanted to do, maybe when this is done, like I'll pick like a registry set to complete. Cause I, I think the PSA registry is just absolutely phenomenal. The, my pro, the reason I haven't been too engaged in it is like, well, one, I'm busy with my, kind of my registry, right? My set registry. But also it's like, there's never, I've never really found that perfect set where I actually want all of the cards. And that kind of holds me up a lot because then I'm kind of, if I, I feel like I'm kind of wasting bullets on some of the items uh, that I wouldn't necessarily really want to enjoy just for the like completionist aspect of the, of the registry. But, the, but yeah, I'd say for the time, at least the next like two or three years, I'll be focused on completing and upgrading um, my case. Or maybe, you know, a really nice, so my favorite card, the card, and it will, I'm like intentionally making it the 100th card of the case. It's the Shooter Jackson Cracker Jack. And like, and I've also gone back and forth between should that be the 100th card in the case? Or do I just, when the case gets done, celebrate it by selling the entire case to purchase that card? Um, so unanswerable questions at this point, um, but just really having a lot of fun with that. And really, like the basis for it is, I just when I go through, it, I, like if you were to say a year in the hobby, so it's primarily '90s. It's probably more early '90s than some people would like. Like if you just said 1993 to me. Like, it's just like the first five or six cards that, what do I think about when I think about 1993? I think about first year finest and first year refractors. I think about Jordan scoring Kings. I think about Skybox shifting from like a paper 92 Skybox card to Skybox premium. I think about fifth year upper deck baseball, which has some actually really amazing photography and great looking low end inserts like you just can't get them in good condition and that product is like i've learned the hard way how bricked 1993 upper deck baseball is don't don't do it um so um you know that's that's basically the the first part is what do i think of when i think of that year and then the second piece is uh the completionist aspect of like important people being in my case so there's also like a few instances where like reggie lewis was like a really important player to me in my like early days of Celtics fandom. And my dad was a grad student at Northeastern where Reggie went to school not too far after. And so I remember having this like fascination with Reggie Lewis. And obviously it's emotional since he he died young and was really coming into his few, you know, he, he was a great player, uh, a high level all-star, like a 26, 27 you understand how great Reggie Lewis was um but like he doesn't have anything in the hobby that's particularly like he doesn't have a card that I really like and so like there's those nuances also like I could say the same for Havlicek or Pete Maravich where I'm like I need to put them in the case but I don't have like an I the item doesn't fit perfectly and I spend a lot of a lot of sleepless nights thinking about like how is Reggie Lewis going to fit into this case, and that's kind of the psychotic part of it, I guess. It's so it's it's, it's, it's interesting that interesting you bring up Ray Lewis. Lewis. Um, 
Reggie Lewis. I, I was just thinking about him the other day, and I was considering like considering like the him and Drazen uh, Drazen Petrovic both passed away. Like it was relative. I remember that being like very impactful for me as a kid trying to process like the fact that these guys that we watch on TV uh, play basketball all of a sudden are are gone. But it, to me, like without like knowing like, a Wikipedia, I feel like the, I feel like their deaths happen within, within a year or so of each other. I think so, and I also think within a year of one of them, I'm not sure if you're familiar. Like Hank Gathers was very close in time to that. Also, um, I'm not sure if he's like not as talked about, but he played at Loyola Marymount with Bo Kimball, who was an NBA draft pick. And uh, there's a movie that the Hank Gather story. I actually watched it the other day for probably the first time in like 25 years. And uh, yeah, he, he was the same thing. He collapsed on the court and passed away. Uh, I believe in a, it might've even been like an early tournament game or maybe it was a regular season game. I don't recall, but. Yeah, I didn't want to take us down a deep, dark web, but that was something. It's it like I think about the, my childhood. I think about moments like that, and then obviously, like just the nostalgia uh, of of collecting and how that impacts. And I feel like '90s collectors. I would associate you in that category. Whenever I see your page or see cards posted, I I immediately get hit with a bunch of nostalgia and feels. And I feel like obviously that's the type of thing that. Uh, drives your collecting and keeps you going definitely so maybe we go back to just what we were talking about up front with your professional skills um i love your bio by day i draft contracts and at night i collect sports cards we talked about a little bit about it but maybe i'm curious like if you like zooming into chris how you view the hobby and what you're seeing on a day-to-day basis whether it's twitter instagram can you maybe let us know, like, what what is a scenario of something that might have gone on recently where it kind of got your antennas up, just based on just what you do professionally and applying that skill set into how you look at the hobby? Right, that's a tough question to pick one uh, specific instance. Um, you know, there's a lot of things. I I wouldn't say there's ever like been any ongoings in the hobby or any any like one thing in particular that I you know whatever like make my hill to die in or thought that was but like obviously anyone that's been in the hobby has probably seen the Evan Mathis video it's probably like the most recent um example and then um some of the related content that's been done around it's like the first thing with that i guess is you know i've I've never been active on the blowout forums like anyone else i've read i've read uh, a lot of the contributions um to that and i have great respect for the people that do that that work have i 100 audited and fact checked every accusation that's been made on there no but I think a reasonably prudent person can tell good, thorough research from you know, someone whose viewpoint was the basis of someone's view was like watching an eight-second TikTok video and then you know claiming to be an expert on that subject matter. Like the thoughts seem well developed. Uh, I, I'm I'm a good 
be more likely or not to consider the content on that board to be legitimate and, and worth considering. So it seems like Evan Mathis is a person who's long been suspected of card trimming. There, there were a couple other people, like there was a thing with the Trey Lance cards um, and an individual who was also previously um, named as a card trimmer and blowout. And, you know, every time there's work done on that form, it, it seems to, the, the first defense is that the, the folks doing this are toxic. They're just taking shots. There's no proof. They're just unhappy, grouchy individuals. And um, there's no basis for anything they're saying. Yet time and time again, yeah, I mean, there's been several instances now where the people they've named, there's been further developments that uh, have made it all but certain that the people they accused were in fact from in cards. It's almost as if Blowout forums, card accusation is like a leading indicator that the person will eventually get uh, <laughs> uh, caught and informally charged in the hobby, I guess, as a, as a trimmer. So given their track record, I tend to believe most, if not all, the accusations made there. One of the surprising things I'd say were not so surprising, uh, I guess, based on how you view the world, is the number of people um immediately defended it for either one self-interested reasons they're heavily invested in the hobby and so any accusation is mm. on its face a non-starter because that person has financial motive to to protect the up and right movement of the hobby at all costs and then there's an, another large group of people who have defended this on the basis that there's nothing wrong with it. That's kind of a, a separate thing to me. And it seems to, you know, I almost want to say like in 2023 is fraud and vote. Um, you have a generation of people who um, watch Wolf of Wall Street and rather than come away from that movie saying, wow, Jordan Belfort is a scumbag and a fraud and should be in prison for the rest of his life. No. Wow, that guy is great. Um, he has like a strong follow. People still do business with him. He has a strong following. He's influential and people are still listening to him. And, um, you know, take, listen to, I won't get into like the whole Gary Vee thing, but uh, like those types of Gary Vee, Greg Carter, and Jordan Belfort, like it's an entire generation where those are like they're investing role models, not people like, Warren Buffett or Charlie Munger, who I'd say um, ethics are less questionable, right? It's such an interesting topic because I feel like some, it was, I don't know when this happened. It might've happened when I was in an era where like every weekend I was going out until three in the morning. And then one day I just woke up and realized what was happening, but it just seemed like all of a sudden, and this was like, maybe before I got back into cards, all of a sudden, like, I started to notice the conversations online and the following that certain individuals had, and it didn't matter what that individual uh, was talking about positioning. They knew how to build an audience of people that no matter what they said or did, they would unapologetically be behind them. And this turns into the selling of products, books, packages, whatever, you name it, the laundry list goes on and on. And so like this was happening and it was circling and it was almost like for me getting back into cards at the time when everything was just, you know, to the moon and then some 
Um, and I'm trying to figure this out and navigate this. There's these individuals that are in the middle of it because there's money and everything's going up. And they were just anything they said. Uh, they would have people behind it. And I'm. It, it, it took me a second to like take a step back and look at what was actually happening and what people were saying in the movement of people to understand like, I am not going to predict the crash of the hobby, but like something about what I'm currently seeing and how things are happening seems kind of funny. And it seems to me that it's individuals with big platforms who are the ones who are in control of what's happening in an unregulated market, which uh, I still still think about that all the time and just how much money was lost um, by a lot of people. And why a lot of people didn't, you know, retain themselves as a hobby participant and just fought, fell off the other side. And I feel like we're in that era of right now where we're not necessarily trying to like repair that. We're trying to collect cards. And in some cases, there's actually some really good deals. Um, but the whole situation that we're coming off of is just something that um, hopefully someday uh, there's a book about it because I feel like there's enough to, to say. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned how I was thinking earlier about what. Duncan card I wanted in like one of the arguments I made for the top chrome is a fan is that that card is like kind of represented represented in hobby history to me based on how heavily like I'll never forget the market manipulation with that kind of card is off like it's sad to say but like certain cards I'll remember how pumped they were um during the 2020 that card has verified i use that term loosely auction house sales of five thousand dollars and is like selling for under 300 at present like tim duncan hasn't played a game he's still in the hall of fame he hasn't gotten arrested uh as far as i know and like that's a price decrease of like 96 percent or something like and that's if someone can delivers it to your door free of charge and then picks it up from you and hands you like you don't pay no one had to ship it anywhere there's no uh seller fees if you were to i mean if you you start adding on some of the transactional costs i'd imagine if you bought it then and sold it today you're in excess of uh roi negative 97 plus percent but um you know they were it was advertised as five championships five thousand dollars seems too cheap to me uh and so it's kind of uh it, it's amazing some of some of what happened uh in some of those prices in, in 2021 and i'm thankful that i only but it, it didn't take me long to say hold on a second here let's take a step back and like look at what's really going on here and, and ultimately what's about to happen next. So I think one of the things that I've been looking at a lot recently is just the impact it's had on um, hobby businesses. It seemed like uh, back when things were popping off and, you know, KD refractors were selling for a hundred K because he was going to win a championship in Brooklyn uh, there's new hobby businesses popping up like left and right so trying to sell something and get into the market. But um, it seems like over the last few months, especially 
you're hearing hobby entities closing up, setting up shop, liquidating assets. I don't know. Like, is this an observation you're making? And then like, maybe how should we be seeing all of this through? Maybe like, how do you evaluate the, I'm assuming you're a PSA customer because you've talked about the registry, but how do you evaluate like the hobby businesses that you are going to associate yourself with and, and give your money to? Yeah. Like, both in and out of the hobby, I think about capital allocation as being super important all the time. And um, for <laughs> the world economy, the country's economy, and also uh, in a micro setting. And I, I say that to me, I think about that so often um, as a consumer, right? And who I give my money to knowing that they're going to later be the allocator of that capital. If you, this is why fraud is so bad, right? Because if I spend a billion dollars over the course of my life at, you know, Apple or Amazon, that money is going to go into R&D to like produce amazing future products and go back to shareholders of the company who probably have a lot of their retirement savings that like, I'm more than happy to do business with the big companies that I've done business with around my, like I've been a customer at McDonald's and Nike for over 30 years. And I, I love those companies and I, I, I have absolutely no problem spending money there. And, or even at the local dry cleaners or the local doggy daycare, I'm, I'm happy. You know, I don't like paying for those things um, just because it takes money out of my pocket but I'm very happy with where the money goes to kind of support my local community. And, and um, I, I presume that money is, is done, uh, is used properly and in a manner I'd see fit in the future. Like in the hobby, it's really the total polar opposite where I really desperately want to spend my money on the items, unlike my dry cleaning, unlike my vet bill, unlike my dog boarding bill, but I don't actually like in most instances where the money goes. And it, you, it, it actually prevents me um, from spending more money in the hobby um, because I usually have to think long and hard about as much as I want this item and I'm okay paying this price. Do I want, is this, do I, do I feel good about where I'm spending my money here? And yeah, so you know, we've seen a few of these. It looks like collectible is kind of wrapping things up. Starstock obviously would be another one. Um, I think the model for Starstock was actually like kind of good to be like it did kind I of. I agree. I totally agree. Some friction points. Like there's a difference here why these companies failed. Collectible, there's app, there's little to no use case. You don't need to. Fractionalization is for like a trillion dollar company that's too big for one person to be a liquid on and own on their own, not for a $3,000 baseball card that I can fit in my pocket. Like it doesn't make sense in the collectible space. So collectible itself is just like the use case was bad. Doesn't really meet that. Is this solving an actual problem for me, which is like the first consideration start and then the second is like competency right and like if there is good use for this is the company competent either and that could be do they have the team to solve the problem 
or do you trust them? To, the trustworthiness uh, being the other one, um, are they, can they be trusted to solve the problem? Like Starstock to me, uh, I think failed because you had some, I don't want to rip on the founders of the company, but uh, I think they were just like, had a great idea, but we're young and maybe operationally inexperienced. Um, I talked to a few of the people there several times and actually they were really great customers. Like in the early days, um, I won't mention his name, but someone from the company like actually personally called me to talk about some of the issues that I was seeing and, and how um, they could fix them. But like they, even simple things like an inventory, like their like inventory management seemed to kind of be like above their heads. And so to me, once I, Talked to them a few times about how they were managing inventory and their, their just their governance. I didn't feel comfortable having anything there and kind of like quickly got rid of everything and, and out of there. So that, that did stop certain content producers from relentlessly promoting the company and taking money to tell you to send your cards there. Um, but that's what I saw. And then um, like with Alt. Alt's another one that's really disappointed me. They seem stable financially because um, I think they just wrote it. Like, I don't know how much they let out on those buy and relist their platforms. I, I, I'd imagine they probably take some losses, but actually they probably made a lot of money on some folks as well. But like, in this market, you they kind of took off. You'd normally see like a real disruptive company, especially when you think about the other market marketplaces are what um, cartel-like auction houses with 1970s auction software. Like, I mean, they're kind of ripe for the picking, right? And all was kind of like the first, like one of those companies, I'd say a disruptive company that was like, this is kind of archaic and stupid. And, um, you know, is it great to me that they tried to win on VIG? Right, like you see traditional auction houses usually in between like nine and fifteen percent, maybe a little more of a vig depending on the price of the item. I think Alt's initial take was eight percent, um, just because there's probably a way to do it to make a ton of money without really charging that much, especially if you're using the efficiency of just simply like relabeling the owner's name uh, in the vault. And so I thought like Alt would really um, do a great job kind of decreasing the, the cost, the transaction cost the collector bears, like price price compression on things. Or, I, I mean, I don't know what their financial situation is, but but to me, what I guess what was disappointing was basically, like I said, that I thought they were going to be a disruptive marketplace that really changed how marketplaces operate, but also pushed the traditional auction houses to be a bit more competitive on price in mm. their operations. And instead of kind of doing that and winning the market, it seems like they decided that they'd rather than just be a great platform, they wanted to be platform, pricer, and participant on that platform. And once you have two or more of those three, um, that creates the basis for an unfair advantage. Um, and there's anti-competitive concerns over especially over being a participant on your own platform and and like the pricing thing wouldn't be nearly as concerning if it wasn't 
locked down. Like if it were if it were publicly disseminated, the algorithm, which to my understanding, I've never seen it, it's not. And then on top of that, they are manually adjusting the prices in certain instances while operating, um, you know, on the platform as a participant. And then also their their agents, uh, employees, and investors are seemingly operate operate uh, participating in the platform as well. So like that's just like a horrible like if you explain that to someone, hey, do you want to <laughs> flip cards on on this company? <laughs> they do it too, and they set the prices. Uh, like I and take a vig uh, out of it. Like I I don't think any reasonable person would would uh, sign up for that. But I guess I guess us in the hobby do a lot of crazy things that uh, yes. Well, people probably there wouldn't probably uh not a lot of people would have a, a zion case next to them at my age uh with a, tens of thousands of dollars of pictures of men on them so that that, that makes that makes two of us pal maybe let's like go over to instagram real quick um and just things you're seeing that are, is happening regularly on instagram um this could be like it did happen doesn't anymore it, it currently happens now it happens a lot just things that like are happening that you see regularly that might not be so great uh for collectors so you might for the purpose of this you might be disappointed to hear that i don't see anything bad on instagram anymore because i have spent countless hours unfollowing blocking every card platform influencer like any anyone that is i'd say in the hobby with the primary purpose being um to make money i try to make it a point to just block them out of my feed i don't uh judge them for it, it's their own prerogative I, you, know, you see people make very good living flipping cards um with a pretty low barrier to entry and everyone's going to do what they've got to do but like i just the, the last thing like i really use cards like as a total fun hobby thing to do i made the list also partially so that i to avoid kind of the act of buying and selling because i the last thing i want to do in my life is list a card on ebay and go to the post office seven days later uh, mm-hmm. like i don't like i am buying cards it makes me really think you're not like, you're not, you don't want to sell, like, take, do you really want to take the time to sell this? So make sure that you actually want it um, on the way in because it's either going to sit in your collection or you're going to have to go through the trouble of selling. So no judgment, but like, I'm just not particularly interested in it. So I've, I've really tried to cleanse my feed and, and it's already hard enough because like, people that I'm friends with that or, or friendly with that I'd really love to see every card they post. Like, I feel like I don't mm. like even, you know, instead I go on and, you know, the first, you know, I miss some card posts that I'd love to like on my card account and just end up seeing some other advertisement or content that's kind of being shoved down my um, throat that no matter how many times I tell Instagram, I actually don't like this. Um, they just try to tell, tell me, <laughs> yes, I do. Um, so I don't really see it, but like in terms of like, I, I know I mentioned before we started, like um, some of the, st- like, I think I wanted to mention him personally, like 
think it's underscore 732 collection underscore like he does like enough of a job kind of commenting on it secondhand and analyzing it also that I don't really need to see it firsthand. I do not even know who this person is, but I think he does kind of some phenomenal work around the fractionals. Um, Seems like he's pretty well versed in financial statement analysis based on some of what I've seen uh, that he's presented. But then like even I know he has a Twitter account also that's like MT trading or MT MTT trading. MTT trading too, I think. Okay. I don't have Twitter, so I don't, I don't know, but yeah, but like, I'll, I'll like try to covertly go on the web-based uh, portion and look it up when I want to. That's see when you he's... know that's good content. Yeah, exactly. When I'm trying to like Google search MTT trading <laughs> Twitter, right? Like to see what this person has posted, but then like, you know, you'll see some like really thoughtful work done by this person. And then like underneath of it, you'll see like Eric Whiteback's hype fest hot take and like this like great piece of work by this individual <laughs> had like one comment and four likes. And then Eric Whiteback's, you know, 86 Fleer Jordan thing will have. 8,000 and like it's like dude I don't even I don't know does that person even maybe they do collect cards but like it's it just like it's demoralizing and depressing that the merit talk like the, the what we consider actual merit is like who can be the most skilled at attracting attention rather than like who actually has a talent for certain things and, and derives attention like as a result of that um it's in a, definitely a huge point of the hobby where the most people and followed and therefore influential people in the hobby aren't the most sophisticated or talented but like those tend to be like those people tend to be like very introverted and like not really wanting of that it, like don't have the motive really uh to to gain the the, the followers and influence either because they're just like in their own head trying to think up things and kind of in, enjoying it and, and aren't really like out to try to see how much money they can make. I guess this is like in listening to you talk about this, this is like, hasn't, even though we've got like these mini computers in our pocket and access to like, you know, communication and we can literally get a hold of anyone at any time instantly, like we've got that going on, but it almost feels like, operating because i was going to ask you it's like well if this shit's going on like how the hell are we supposed to get our information like get good information and it's almost like going back to like a simpler time where it's just like these one-to-one conversations where you're you're learning from somebody else and uh you're you're because you you have done the hard work and the hard work is like you built the relationship you trust is earned and you 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 are just sharing like perspectives and what you're seeing one to one and in the the more time i spend in the hobby the more value i'm getting and my knowledge is going up when i focus in on like those one to ones as opposed to like just you know scrolling through the uh instagram feed just you know because usually like outside of seeing a couple cool cards. I feel like I don't even see cards anymore. It's just like reels of people, you know, saying shit that like doesn't even matter, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, low barrier to entry and we are all the media. 
uh, I guess means, <laughs> you know, means exactly that. Uh, J school uh, not needed, right? So that the, I guess that's the downside, right, of social media and everyone getting to voice their opinion is um, ultimately the masses might, you know, choose some sources of information that um, aren't the ones I personally like and and that I I seem to objectively uh, think like aren't the best for everyone as a whole. But I guess at the end of the day, like everyone's entitled to their opinion and and the, the market's going to be the market and whether I like it or not. Do you think that we're in a better spot uh, now, just like uh, in the hobby, as opposed to like where we were maybe when prices were to the moon and during the era of just like the hobby boom, I guess, COVID boom? Yeah, I mean, I've noticed I have had less instances of shield bidding um, against me on cards recently. I'd have, I've had less instances of uh, non-paying for auction items. So like, I think it's more enjoyable now just because like at least some of the fat has been trimmed. Um, you know, fraud, one of the, the fraud triangle, you have motive, opportunity, rationalization. Um, the, the more people that leave that are financially motivated, you just have uh, less fraud because you remove someone with, with that element, right? So uh, the less financially motivated people there are, the less fraud you're going to have. And so I think shrink the hobby uh, over the last few years has, has worked out pretty well. And like, frankly, maybe it's self-serving, but like as a collector or a curator, like I'm building my collection, I don't care what it is. Like I never, when I'm buying cards, like my goal is to buy it at the low, like I buy my cards the same way I buy like the television. Like I figure out which one I want and I figure out like, how can I procure it at the, at the, the lowest possible price, not what is the future. So like, I'm always trying to just spend, like spend as less money as possible on my cards rather than like, I pick the card I want. When's going to be the most opportune time to get this for the cheapest price, not what's it going to be worth in five years. So, I mean, downward price trajectory, um, the only regret I have is like maybe on one or two cards that I would have just waited a year and stretched my dollar a bit further. Um, so yeah, selfishly, like I'm cool with prices going down. I hope they continue to go down, but I also think for something like cards, like they're only, they're only really historically a great investment in periods of time when they're not considered investable. If that, makes you know like i mean the the highest number of people telling you that sports cards was a legitimate investable asset class was literally at the peak of the market so like the the more investable uh it appears and there's clamoring for is the less so is probably the case and you see usually things that do the best long term right are things people just organically want without any concern of future value and then through that they end up uh appreciating because people just like actually want them i love that um maybe bringing it home one of the things and themes i've picked up on from you is just you're very intentional with your cards and curating it to it being something that 
meets your needs um, from a lot of different levels. And you're also very intentional with curating your social media feed, making sure you're just seeing and following the people who are you're going to help enhance your hobby experience. So like curation is something I've definitely picked up uh, in talking to you. But maybe like in closing, is there like a piece of feedback that you'd share with the listeners in terms of like, you know, ways the uh, the hobby can think something that you've learned um, to that has helped enhance your overall experience? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if I have a lot of tips, but one, I mean, one mistake that I have in both cards and investing, um, I think <laughs> most uh, bad decisions that I've made. I, I'd say is even beginning to entertain that buying the dip is a good idea. Um, 99% of the time <laughs> you, I have learned the hard way that you are almost certainly catching a knife. Uh, let's like prices trend, they don't revert, right? So usually also cycles, whether they're upward or downward, tend to be more announced and last longer um, than we realized. So that um, Tim Duncan Chrome card that you thought was a steal when it went from $5,000 to $4,800, yeah, you, um, you you needed to wait about another $4,600 until that was a buy. Um, <laughs> but I, I hope you had fun buying that one down. Um, but um, so, so that's just one is uh, friend is your friend in terms of price movement, right? And the I guess the other is really just to like, if you're a collector, I'd say one thing I'd ask of others, um, and you work a job or have a career or own a business, whatever it is, you, you take your income from your career, professional career and, and choose to voluntarily spend it to consume cards in the hobby. I would, I would just ask to like, respect your money and Make sure the place that you're spending it appreciates your business and that you um, really align with their values because ultimately now your funds are going to be in their hands. They're going to finance what their um, next venture is going to be. And, uh, and, and so I, I just, I would really implore people to do that and consider who they're doing business with if, if that company is deserving of it. Like I, have no problem like like any grading company i'm sure psa has misgraded some cards and i'm sure they've let some mathis specials slip in the the front door but like i ultimately i trust that company i think they they do a pretty good job of treating the collector well and trying to do additional things for them i always kind of appreciate their specials and their emails um and so like that like that's a company i i will pay money with gladly to grade cards with. And, you know, I like that they, um, I have to mention card, you know, I'm, I'm a huge, both crossover and card letter. And I actually have my, my grills only sweatshirt on here. You know, love that company as well. Um, so got to mention them, but um, yeah, that that's it really. Just, you know, be intentional about what you buy and, and but also where you buy it from and, and who, who you buy it from. Chris, get more I- of the same. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on, uh, dealing with some of these technical difficulties, but sharing some good sound perspective um, seems like listening to you talk, I feel like 
a lot of these conversations for me happen kind of one-to-one in the DM. So it's nice to just chop it up on the show and get some sound perspective. Um, this is a ton of fun, man. Thanks so much for your time. We'll have to talk. Appreciate to you it. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Hope you had fun with that one. Uh, Chris is a really good dude. Enjoy following his page and looking at all of the nostalgia and his story posts, which always shine a light on kind of his perspective and some of the things that are happening in the hobby. We'll be back next week. Take care of yourself. Take care of others around you.